Welcome to Today in Space. We're here for another episode, episode uh, TIS-177. We're approaching our way to 200 episodes, but it is December 18th. We're recording this episode. It's going to come out December 19th, and on December 20th, this Friday, at 6.36 a.m., uh, Boeing's Starliner is going to be launching uh, the CST-100, the robotic launch, um, to the ISS to dock for the first time. Uh, this is the first step commercial crew for Boeing. Uh, it's also United Launch Alliance, uh, Atlas V that's taking it up there. So both of them have, have a lot to be excited for, uh, a lot of great things coming here in the future. Um, and something really cool, uh, the Starliner apparently can dock itself robotically uh, where uh, every other capsule right now needs the uh, essentially the, the Canadarm uh, to the robotic arm that uh, Canada's aerospace program made um, to, uh, d- you know, grab the spacecraft when it's close and then dock it with the uh, with the module on the ISS where this Starliner does not have to do that. So we're going to see the first use of that in space. So the first time it's actually going to dock. So that's cool. No humans, no humans yet, but it's the first step. Um, and that's actually what we saw on NASA social. We walked by this. We had the opportunity. Uh, we'll show the picture here. Uh, but we had the opportunity where... Um, actually, let's let's just let's just cut to a quick quick uh, walkthrough of of what happened there. I think I think we explain it. Oh my God! Here we are. We just got the opportunity to go check out United Launch Alliance's CST one hundred Starliner competition in space. Is amazing. <clears throat> it's wild. I know, I didn't say anything. They'll tell us no. <laughs> what? Oh, man. <laughs> Here we are, people. Commercial crew. This is what it's all about. These are our two options to send astronauts, American astronauts, from American soil for the first time since the space shuttle. 2011. Eight years. Oh my god. This is crazy. Super amazing opportunity. It's amazing how you get a little opportunity. SpaceX Boeing competition, ULA competition. It's good. Can't let us see SpaceX and not see ULA. crew people this is where it, this is where it starts they're gonna start sending humans very very shortly this is gonna be a busy December and this is their wet dress rehearsal so this is the same this is gonna be demo one it's gonna be the robotic uh, robotic mission to the ISS the first time they're gonna send this and dock with the International Space Station huge first step next step is to actually send crew So that was awesome. That was the CST 100 Starliner. Uh, the fact that we got to go, uh, you know, when we were there to see the SpaceX Falcon 9 uh, launch for CRS 19. I mean that it. I mean we definitely weren't complaining. We we got approval as we were on our way uh, back from 
seeing the Falcon 9, we got to see uh, the Starliner from afar, and that was that was so cool. And there's a NASA social there right now. A few people that I know uh, online, um, uh, some uh, Space uh, space Pants Squad uh, peep Alg is there, and I uh, met someone else online earlier that's attending. So that's really cool. It's, it's awesome that they're going to be able to have the opportunity to go see this. I'm super excited to see what they post, what they cover over the next day. Uh, but this episode, we're going to continue on our way to through our NASA social from uh, the beginning of December when I went down there for the SpaceX CRS-19 launch and we got to visit the Veggie Lab. There's an actual lab. Um, we have, oh, let me go grab the sticker because we got tons of stickers. You can see that. So the Veggie Lab uh, was arguably one of the best Things and we were talking with a bunch of people from NASA Social when we were out. Uh, we went drinking the first night, um, so that was great and fun. Um, but it was cool. You just got to meet new people, and I think a lot of us uh, mentioned that the Veggie Lab was really our favorite part. And you're, what you're going to see in this clip, because pretty much I started recording. I wasn't sure when I got out there how I was going to, you know, put all this stuff together or even what was going to happen. But I also didn't want to put a, a lock on it. Um, you know, the first NASA Social I went to. Back in 2015 for the New Horizons mission, um, you know, I did I did take the content that we had. I had a bunch of recordings from the actual uh, presentation, and and I felt like I tried to do too much in one episode, and it just you know one episode that if you didn't catch it, you probably didn't even know about it, and then it's gone, it's over. So um, we're trying to kind of pick apart what we saw and and add something that's new because I'm not the only person who went to this NASA social or was recording. So I'm trying to add something that's a little bit different so that if you do come across across this video. It's at least a little bit different. Uh, but this one was awesome. I pretty much just had it record, and we you, you'll see us go through uh, the start. We get our introduction, and uh, the, the two scientists that are, that are in the beginning, um, we'll talk about them next week. Um, but everyone here was really great, and what I want to focus on this week is Ralph uh, Fritchie, who was the, the Space Crop Production Project Manager, which is an amazing title, an amazing space crop production project manager so he's literally working on like what matt damon did in the martian which does come up in in the questions at the end um and it's a pretty great answer um about what he thought about uh how the martian uh went about it but this is the guy who's actually one of the people involved in actually making that happen in real life and the really really cool thing and 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 what i'll keep mentioning about this because we've talked so much about the balance we've talked about is nasa ready is spacex ready um all this stuff is about to come are we even ready to handle this this trip showed me that the the people who are working at nasa the it looks it looks like everyone is gung-ho about this they're ready to get after this um and that's so great. There's so many amazing people. You'll get to to meet Ralph and hear what he does here, and 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 they talk specific. He talks specifically about, you know, the big plan of what if we get it right? What if we actually go and build colonies on the moon, have lunar colonies, have Martian colonies? How do we even get ourselves to that point? And how do we adjust for the fact that the commercial program may accelerate space travel, and we may have to develop uh, growing things uh, in in space earlier? Um, I'm not going to ruin. Too, I'm not going to say too much about it because Ralph goes from start to finish. What he presented for us was 
perfect. If you want to know about biology in space, what it's like to have a job um, right now in growing things in space, and just the, the background behind the, the first time they went into space and what they even thought they were going to see to uh, a whole uh, spectrum from start to finish and we'll we'll also uh, have a picture of the whiteboard or the yeah the whiteboard of where you had the plan all drawn out which is kind of a sneak peek because it's not even ready in the documentation available to the public yet um, but the amazing thing about the NASA social is we get to share that here with you so that's what we got here I hope you're having a good holiday season um, you know I am uh, I'm drinking a little bit more I have a, a cider <laughs> right now um, I'm drinking more coffee that's for sure uh, but you know it's uh, uh, it's it's just a busy time there's so much going on um, actually really happy we have all this content to, to dig through and, and to dive into uh, because I really I don't think I would have had time to do an episode from scratch so this has been fun I hope you're having a good holiday season if you're having a rough time st- you know hey it's all good. Um, you can always pick it up and, and, and change things that you're doing, and and you just got to get through it. So uh, I hope you're having a good time. Uh, we are here to help provide some uh, some some good old-fashioned science um, and just some fun stuff. This is a great tour, and we're going to have more from the Veggie Lab. Uh, we'll have those two scientists uh, in the next episode. In the next episode, on uh, it'll be out right after Christmas, the 26th, so, uh, wait, uh, yeah, I think the 26th, that Thursday, um, and that's it, folks, have a great holiday season, enjoy yourselves, we'll see you back here right after uh, Christmas, and then we go into 2020, so we're going to talk about um, plans for 2020, and where we're at with the show, where we've been, where we're going in 2020, that's all to come, so enjoy this episode, and we'll see you next time. So this building has a lot of history with the uh, space station, with all the processing that happened. And since it's all been assembled, we now, uh, we've been doing science all along as it's been assembled, but now it's really about utilization. And so we have this whole building <coughs> labs. Uh, so that way when the SpaceX uh, rocket launches tomorrow, all the scientists that prepared their uh, payloads and the experiments processed it here. They ready their science here. And uh, a lot of times they'll have ground controls, and if the ground controls are life science experiments, those ground controls are run just down the hall. So all the experiments that run on station typically have a 1G ground control, and those ground controls are typically run here. So, and for Gateway, we probably will plan on processing everything through here as well, so i got to change the name of the building. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what we do here. We run science experiments and payloads. This is our expertise. So uh, why don't we take you down to uh, talk to you about space plants and crop production to kind of give you an uh, understanding of what we do. We're supposed to all start dancing now. <laughs> I'll play the music. <laughs>
So going forward, it's going to be pickety crops, and then we're going to eventually, when I start talking about residing on the surface of the moon long time for term or on Mars, I'm going to be adding to that staple crops, things that will provide calories more so than just basic nutrients. Things like wheat, rice, potatoes, um, sweet potatoes, a variety of vegetables like that, but now I'm going to have to process them and prepare them and cook them. So along the way, to make this whole vision become real, there's certain challenges that we have to address in terms of just growing the plants in the environments that we're exposing them to. Microgravity environment on the International Space Station, at first we weren't sure how the plants would grow, how would they react to that microgravity experience. Pretty much everything we've grown so far has reacted well in the standpoint that we can grow it and consume it. We're being challenged now to look at increasing the variety of plants that we can grow in space, because ultimately when I start talking about feeding crews, I want to give them as much variety in terms of their diet as possible. Um, everything that we grow is, it goes through the lens of what will the crew eat and how much of the key nutrients that are, they need will they provide. So we're very selective in the types of crops we grow. We want to increase the variety as much as possible. Up till now, it's been a lot of leafy greens. We're getting ready to grow our first fruiting crops in space, and that will be peppers. We're looking at tomatoes and expanding that all out in time. So the big challenge in microgravity was what's the response to the plants? So far, it's been fairly good. We've got good results. But there's a challenge in getting water and air to the root zone of plants that we don't have in unit gravity here on Earth. And how do I make sure that the plants have access to water and air in the right amounts that they need to grow and thrive? And what we've seen with just of our experiments to date is that water behaves very different. In some cases, there'll be regions within a certain growth area where there'll be a lot of water. The plants will have too much water certain areas, there won't be any water, there's not enough. So we're trying to come up with new watering strategies, and I'd say that's probably the biggest technical challenge we have now. Um, we also have issues with lighting, trying to optimize the lighting. Everything we're looking at doing is really needs to be sustainable, minimizing the resources we bring to bear so that we can continue to do this with a small amount of space, power, and consumables that we'll have. And in that way, it ties very closely into controlled environment agriculture that we do here on Earth. A lot of the time we spend here, I would say 30% of our time, is going to controlled environment agriculture conferences, sharing what we do here with our space research, along with what people are trying to do terrestrially to feed the planet in terms of climate change, hostile environments, there's a lot of commonality here. So again, uh, low Earth orbit, ISS, we're looking basically about some of the primary challenges, like how do I water and grow the plants. Now when I get away from the magnetosphere that protects us from radiation exposure in low Earth orbit, now I have this new, somewhat unknown challenge, and what is the radiation environment that we're going to be exposing both the crew and the plants to, going to do the performance of the plants. That's something we've never done before. So. There's a variety of opinions on it. Um, suffice it to say, we're going to have to prove it and demonstrate. Mm. And that's not only how will the plants grow, it's will the seeds that we bring along the way, will they germinate? Is there going to be some germinate, germination percentage flaw that we're going to have to make up for, send more seeds, etc.? Uh, we'll be learning that, hopefully in cis-lunar space, whether there'll actually be enough um, volume to put a plant chamber on the gateway is under you know, somewhat subject to doubt. But the purpose here initially will be not to grow crops for food. 
it'll be just to do it for research. How does this, how do these plants grow in this, in this environment? So initially, when I step away from low earth orbit, I'm going to be looking at a research perspective. We'll likely be doing that, if not on the gateway, we'll definitely be doing it on the surface of the moon early on. Then as things expand on the moon, and again, this is a somewhat to-be-determined function, if we start seeing uh, an explosion of commercial activity on the moon as they start to find water and mine water, more people going, we'll be needing to augment the food there sooner rather than later. Uh, and either way, we'll be using the moon as an analog for Mars. The systems that we're going to eventually take to Mars, we're going to be demonstrating on the moon first. It makes perfect sense to go to the moon first. I know a lot of people were somewhat disappointed that why are we going back to the moon? You don't want to go to Mars first and practice something for the first time. No. When you leave and head to Mars, that's it. Whatever you forgot to bring with you, you don't get. Um, just to, you know, a quick thing. If I'm on the surface of the moon, round trip communications is roughly two and a half seconds. Depending on the orbital positioning of Mars and the Earth, when you're talking about trying to communicate on the surface of Mars with a colony there, it could be as long as 44 minutes for a round trip communication. So the whole paradigm we work under where we have this close access to Earth, I could be back from the space station if there was a problem in a matter of hours, mm -hmm. and I'm looking at on the moon, moon it's days, on Mars it could, be, it could be months, right? So there's a whole paradigm affecting how we shift in terms of how we actually devise and develop our systems. From a plant perspective though, ultimately we're looking at the end state of having, you know, self-serving colonies on, on Mars and on the moon where I can actually have a bioregenerative life support system where I can basically take the air that we breathe, use the, use use um, plants as a filter for that air, maintain something as sustainable and closed loop as possible. Um, so with the time I have left, any questions? <laughs> Did you appreciate the way the Martian handled the uh, potatoes and the growing of food that way? Appreciate, I thought it was interesting, it was funny. Um, it wasn't real. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it, it was good, to, you know, from my perspective, that served a great purpose for us because it brought that front and center to the public, you know, and they, there was a lot of interest that spurred from that. Looking at it from a, re, a realistic perspective, one day we may be talking about taking regolith and converting it to a soil. Initially when we go there, it'll be hydroponic systems. The jury is out as to what point and if taking regolith and doing what you had to do to remediate the perchlorates out of it, which he never did, and then augmenting it with the nutrients that plants would need to grow, how much does that take efficiency-wise, energy-wise, mass-wise. Will we ever get to the point where doing the regular conversion makes sense? It might in certain applications where I'm wanting to grow something larger, trees from, from uh, that perspective, but for early on, it likely won't. We've actually, uh, and Trent was instrumental in this, come up with a formula for a new agriculture simulant based on, on, on Mars missions, so that we actually are working with regular. Um, right now, it's a real struggle trying to get things to grow. A lot of work to be done. We're looking at because we want to do that trade. You don't want to go there and not know. You want to know in advance whether or not this is a viable approach. Can you speak to potato though? Potato? What yeah. about the potato? Well, that was actually a viable so, so potatoes would be a good a good source. Now I, I did see a chart that one of the nutritionists at the Johnson Space Center put out that said if you were Matt Damon and you had to live on those potatoes for that amount of time, 
was a whole list of all the biological and medical maladies you would have heard <laughs> of doing that, you know. And you probably would have died from one of them. <laughs> so, um, real quick, you get excited every time you see from NASA Select uh, the, uh, the crew on board expedition showing you. Yeah, you know, to me, the to me the interesting thing was I I kind of stumbled into this this job in my career, and I was surprised there was that much interest. And I thought it'd be a transient, temporary thing, but no, it really resonates with people. And, and that's the part that I didn't talk about, and that's the very fact that from a psychological perspective, just having something in this sterile environment that's reminiscent of home makes a big impact yeah. on behavioral health, especially when I'm talking about three years being away. So right now we're trying to think of ways to design habitats and surface systems that will enable both the plants to provide food as a source of nutrition and also to give them some kind of behavioral reassurance of home. So, And that, that has pros and cons. We talk about Growing plants, now people would enjoy doing that, some people don't. Or you grow a plant, you're attached to it, and it does well, and you feel great. Or you grow a plant, you're attached to it, it dies, and now what? <laughs> so, yeah. And with that, we're going to rotate. So we're going to go this way. Sure. Thank you very much. Shit, man. That was a room we went into last time. So, last time. Kelp. Oh, nice. Yeah. Who? Yeah.